we have this idea of an artist in the studio painting away, you know, with all his motion and activity. And it's usually this man dancing around, painting on a canvas. And, and it's never a female that we picture. And that's how I came to think of the death of Cleopatra as well, of, of Juan Luna, and how odd it was that a Filipino painter would paint the scene or the narrative of her death, right? because it's something so alien to us. I'm sure Juan Luna never made it to Egypt. I've, I've always said um, that one plus one equals three is... is uh, is one of the great lessons I learned as a art student. During the early years of being an artist, it was really a struggle for me. Um, you know, in 2003 and in 2004, when I had my shows in Ayala Museum and in Green Papaya, I didn't sell anything. That was artist. Pati Eustachio, my name is JP Alipio, and you are listening to the Wildcast Podcast. So, this week on episode 25, 25 episodes in of the Wildcast, I am talking to a really, really old friend, um, Pati Eustachio. I've known her for 20 years since I was in college. And uh, we used to climb mountains together, literally. We used to spend a whole lot of time together when I was in college. And for some reason, a few years after college, I think we lost touch. Um, but she's now this amazing, internationally renowned artist. Her work has been exhibited all over the world, in Europe and Hong Kong everywhere basically uh i remember back in the day i um i was joking that i have a few of her photos on my wall from this epic trek that we did from mount pulag down to kiangan in ifugao at this time when that area was just such such beautiful forest such beautiful single track trails and going through these villages and we reminisce a lot of these memories actually from from back then and of course we talk about her art how it's evolved she currently has an exhibit right now at the silver lens gallery um and it's amazing like the, the work that she's been able to do that she's been able to create all this time in the last 20 years is something truly special and I mean it takes a pandemic really to for me to start getting in touch with old friends again and in in a way I'm actually right really grateful that in uh, this whole thing happened because I've been in touch with so many of my old friends and reconnected with all of them just like Patty and uh, this whole situation uh, we find ourselves in I think for me it's a blessing that I've been able to get in touch with all of these people make these old connections new again and 
just hear about all their lives, all of the stuff that they've been doing, and it's amazing. You know, I mean, from from the time that twenty uh, years ago we were bumming around college, drinking and and uh, drinking cheap beer and and getting to all sorts of trouble. <clears throat> uh, we're now, you know, twenty years later, a little more adult. Uh, still getting into some trouble, I suppose. But uh, you get to hear about Patty's perspective about art, about Filipino art, about women in the art world. How there's, I mean, in in popular representation, we don't really talk about artists as women. We talk about them as men. And and you know, um, this is such an enriching discussion for me. Such a special discussion also because. It takes me back to those good old days when we were back in college, and um, you know, um, it's a much freer time. But uh, we evolve, and and um, we talk about all of this. You know, this evolution of ideas, this evolution of thinking, this evolution of Philippine art uh, from being a struggling artist trying to make ends meet to now selling her work for quite a good sum of money i mean good enough for her to live off her art as she talks about it and and he th- she talks about how artists now are able to create art and live off that art creation and that's really a good thing for this country and i must say it speaks volumes about uh, our economy in the last uh, 10 years and also I mean, the evolution of art, it just allows artists to create what they want and there will be people to appreciate it, to buy it. So without further ado, just listen to this conversation with Patty. It was fun. I had fun in this conversation. It was like the good old days, as they say. I mean, there's always those days um, from years ago and... This hour-long conversation with her was one of those good old times just in the present. Have a listen. Thank you, Patty, for coming on the Wildcast. This is, uh, this is my new like quarantine podcast, which I started in April. And um, so far, I've had about 20 guests on wow. different people from different sort of different, uh, different fields. There's a photographers, journalists, um, doctors all sorts no so it's really just just conversations with different people about their lives and what what they're doing now what sort of built them into who they are at the moment and i mean it's simple conversations about who you are no and and what what you do and what makes you tick so thank you so much for agreeing to come on board uh, <laughs> you're very tonight. welcome i'm so honored to be invited uh in your podcast because we haven't been in touch in so long i haven't spoken to you in so long but yeah, i've been so following long. you <laughs> <laughs> on instagram and i see that you've been up to so many interesting things um yeah so i was i was very happy that you invited me yeah, imagine I. You know that 
that trek we did uh i think almost 20 years ago yeah. now uh that trek from mount pulag to kiangan oh uh, you remember that trek yeah, of no? course it's unforgettable unforgettable <laughs> trek and uh I actually still have the photos that you took uh, in the river. Do you remember the river yes, where we beautiful. came down from Pulag and and we you know we all took a bath in the river and you took some photos right, with your camera. Right. So I have those. I have the photos that you took on my wall oh, here, wow. and they've, they've they're sort of a memory that I really like because that was a really for me it was one of the most fun treks I've done. And I have I don't do so many treks like that anymore now. Eh? Mm-hmm. Especially with friends. You know, parang uh you know, once you finish college, all your friends start to leave, go somewhere else. Right. And and it's sort of difficult to bring everyone together. So so that trek was one of those memories that sort of, you know, uh solidified in my mind. So I have two of the photos I think around around the house just hanging. Uh, from that time, and that was that was a fun trek and interesting. Oh yeah, well. super! I, for me, that was I think that was my last trek, um, in that fashion and super memorable. In fact, in January of this year, because remember we were supposed to pass through Hongduan, but we didn't manage That's right. to find the trail. We we decided to go to Kiangan yes. instead of Hongduan. That's, exactly. right. That's right. And so this January, uh, my partner and I decided that we would actually go to Hongduan. And it was so nice to kind of recall our trek together, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago. Because, yeah, that that, that was definitely memorable for me. And, and I think that also solidified for me my love for outdoors even if i'm such a city person right right and that that was you know those those trails are now paved roads they're like cemented roads oh my gosh and imagine we passed through it we were passing through this forest or the single track trail and you know all the limatic exactly (laughs) and from 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 Tinok to Kiangan, that was such a nice long. It was a full day. I don't know if you remember that yes. last day going to Kiangan. It was like a whole day trek across the mountains. That's now a road, so you can drive a car. Uh, I mean, there's a, wow. a few unpaved sections, but you right. can basically drive a car with enough clearance across the whole thing now. Right. In in two hours or something like that. <laughs> that's that's really amazing because I remember it was raining that day. So I think we were basically walking the whole day in the rain. The whole day, yeah. Yeah, and all my toenails died. That's right. And also <laughs> you had really bad blisters, yeah, because you had some new shoes or something. Yeah, exactly. And I, I and I didn't get the memo about um wearing stockings under <clears throat> socks uh That's to help right. with friction. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, I went home with all of well actually nine dead toenails and it took some of them a year to grow back wow <laughs> a year <laughs> so unforgettable yeah those are those are the those treks were i mean we were lucky that we were able to do that because now there's nothing that is that long mm-hmm. that that you can trek continuously through a trail. I mean, now it's, you know, you have to cut into roads and there's a lot of pavement now. A lot right. of the places that we we walk in that time, after Pulag, it's all like paved roads or oh, dirt wow. roads or 
or something like that. And it's all gardens. There's lots of gardens now as opposed to when we walked through it, it was, you know, it was just this big forest and right. and like beautiful forest. And now it's, it's you know, cabbages and potatoes and carrots. <laughs> different times, my God. Yeah, different times. And now you're, you know, you're a famous uh, artist. No, not famous. <laughs> well, well you're, you're somewhat successful artist, I think, in the Philippines. As opposed to the last, the last exhibit I, I saw was I think in the Ayala Museum uh 2003 or 2004 Oh my gosh. Okay, no. I think the the Ayala Museum show was my very first solo show which was in 2003. And yes, you were there. I was there. Yes. <laughs> I, I was but, there for the growth of the great right. <laughs> And that was the show when I decided to use all of the ukay ukay, 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 ukay. Yeah, yeah, I remember that I had accumulated during my stay in Baguio, and I remember I moved back from Baguio with a truckload of ukay ukay. And yes, and you decided, were the queen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I decided to make a sculpture out of it. I remember uh, there was a dress with was it a dress like yes like a mannequin in a dress with. Like patong patong ukay clothes, exactly. uh, something like that, right? Yeah, I used up a hundred uh, blouses from ukay ukay, and I cobbled them. T- well, I sewed them together to make this kind of long gown, and and I put it on a mannequin. And right, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. But the last show you saw was actually my show in Green Papaya. Oh yes, I was there also. Yes. <laughs> I, I have the card from Green Papaya that says something about wait, let me see. It's here, it's here somewhere. Let me check. Mm-hmm. Uh it says my kulay bang paglimot. Oh. You remember that? That's it, it's like beautiful. a blank yes. it's a blank white card with like a text that just says my kulay bang paglimot. paglimot. And that was written by Lani Maestro who had uh, an exhibit just before me when I had my exhibit at Green Papaya. And at that Green was Papaya. in 2004, I think. Wow, yeah. a long time. Huh? Yeah. And I haven't seen any of your, you know, now that you're famous kind of exhibits. <laughs> um, I have seen one of your pieces uh, at my brother-in-law's house. He bought one of your pieces. It's a big piece. Yes, like it's a, a painting. Yeah, it's a painting, yeah. So... I saw that, but otherwise I've not seen any of your work. I should actually come to... You just opened an exhibit recently. Yes, I just opened an exhibit recently at Silver Lens Gallery here in Makati. And it's called Hoarding Fossils in Blankets. Okay, and what's it about? Like, what, what's the whole concept behind the exhibit? Well, basically, the, the show... Uh, presents six of the tapestries I've been working on for the past, well, technically for the past two years, although I've been researching about this for many more years. Um, And my concept behind it is that I take old master's works, basically Filipino master's works, and then I translate them into tapestry. So, for example, I took a painting of Juan Luna, The Death of Cleopatra. Oh, wow. 
I know uh, that painting. Yes, it's a very famous painting. I have a little painting. bit of art in my brain. <laughs> Only the famous ones. And some of yours, of course. <laughs> yeah, so a very famous one. It was recently shown in Singapore at the National Gallery of Singapore. I think this was about 2018. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was also doing my residency in London at Gasworks. And I was doing research on... Basically, the migration of objects. No? I mean, there's this entire globalization that's happened um, mm. because of the trade of things. Right? I mean, we, we as people, we like to collect things. And so parang this drove so much trade over centuries and centuries. And that's how we discover other countries or other places and all of that. And, and so while I was there... I went to the British Museum a lot because libre yung museum in London. So you could go as many times as you want. Okay. And I was so struck because, I mean, there are floors of just Egyptian art or floors of just African art. And of course, in our own, you know, in our own modern time, it's it's very problematic to to see so much art that's been transplanted from other countries. That's right. From one, you know, it's yeah. been taken from Egypt exactly. and put in a British museum. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so I saw what was supposed to be the mummy of Cleopatra there. And that's how I came to think of the death of Cleopatra as well, of, of one Luna and how odd it was that a Filipino painter would paint the scene or the narrative of her death. Right? Because it's something so alien to us. I'm sure Juan Luna never made it to Egypt. That's and, right. That, that's really interesting insight. Huh? Yeah. And, and he painted that when he was studying fine arts in, in Spain, in Madrid. And so there's another transplantation, you know. And, and he, he, as a Filipino, traveled all the way to Spain to be educated in the Western arts. And one of the classical themes um, he was made to paint was the death of Cleopatra. And so I I thought that was so interesting to take that theme and to translate it into a different medium. Mm -hmm. Because oil painting, at least in my point of view, is such a macho sort of concept and we see so many famous painters who are all male basically that's true that's true it's, yeah. it's a very male centric kind it, of kind of thing all the great masters are are men even here in the philippines exactly all the great masters are men and 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 we have this sort of idea of the of an artist diba? Never mind the the gender, but we have this idea of an artist in the studio painting away, you know, with all his motion and activity. And it's usually this man dancing around painting on a canvas. And and it's never a female that we picture. Um, But the fact that we say great masters and not great mistresses I mean you know it's right. sort of a male male thing it's a male word yeah yeah so I, I wanted I wanted to have a second look at that and you know before in the history of art before oil painting became famous 
um, what was famous were tapestries. Mm-hmm. Um, and these tapestries were woven by a community of women. So you couldn't have a single woman just weaving a single tapestry because it was such a f- physical kind of work. You had to spin the yarn. You had to make the threads. And then the tapestry itself would become so heavy that it needed a group of women to carry it around. You needed mm-hmm. a group of women to help you wash it in the river, to beat it so that the, the fibers would soften. And so I thought it was such a great contrast no, that a tapestry was produced by a community of women, whereas a painting is produced by a single master who is male. Um, right. So I wanted to take the death of Juan Luna and, and kind of strip it of its color and then translate it into this weave and I also had a sort of community help me weave, weave the tapestry. And of course, the nice contrast there is that uh, we can rely on high-tech means now to weave stuff. So I basically took the image, played around with it in my computer, and then we plugged in my digitized image into a computer and fed it to a loom, and then that loom mm-hmm. wove the tapestry. Okay. Yeah, and it, yeah, and 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 it's it's really interesting because I I tried to be as faithful to the size of the original of the, of the painting. Yeah. Um, okay. And it's 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 interesting because you see it in such a different light as well because it has so much texture you know a woven mm-hmm. fabric is so rich and what we tried to do also with the tapestry is to give it a kind of relief as in uh bar so it, relief. it's slightly raised yes in, or, uh, yeah. exactly okay yeah, so i did that for six tapestries for six different master works for the entire show oh wow and this is how many shows have you had since that first show that I saw in in the Ayala Museum oh in two thousand and three? You know, I've plenty. I haven't counted. Seriously, I haven't counted. Um, but I've been working basically nonstop until last year. Maybe I took a break last year because I. I finally, my hands finally gave in. I got carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, wow. And I really needed to do therapy for that. And basically, it was my body telling me that I needed a break. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, yeah, I I looked on your website and I don't know, there's like 20, 40, there's group shows, there's solo shows. Uh, So you've you've done quite a lot from that, you know, time when I, saw you in Green Papaya and in the Ayala Museum. And I mean, the, the art market in the Philippines has sort of changed a lot since that time that I actually saw your show, right? I mean, oh yeah, 20 years ago. Now it's like, it's booming till pre-COVID uh, right. in general, right? It was, parang in the last 10 years, the art market has like, grown so, so much. It's exponential. I see people, you know, buying art. I, on online, I've see see people in auctions, which is which is somewhat unusual. Like for 
for someone in my line of work, I don't really see that many people buying auctions, no? Parang, right. But now I see people posting on social media, na parang, oh, they're at an auction and they're buying art. And it's a very different thing from, you know, from the time na parang QC, uh, right. uh, the art market was very different. It's It was very, how would you call it? Parang bohemian. Uh, now it's sort of Makati business. Uh how has that evolved for you? How what is it? Do you feel like of course you, you earn much more now, no, given that the art market is booming. Mm-hmm. But in on a personal level, how do you feel about that? Like how the art market has changed from that sort of community in QC, these small galleries everywhere, to the Makati Business Club, basically. Yeah. Well, yes, you're right. It's it's changed so much in the past, I would say, 12 years. And personally, I think the thing is, it coincided with my youth and sort of growing older into middle age, I, I would say. And I have to admit, no, because now I'm reaching or I have reached middle age, I have to admit. Um so in a way, it it coincided with my phases in life, and in during the early years of being an artist, it was really a struggle for me. Um, you know, in two thousand three and in two thousand and four, when I had my shows in Ayala Museum and in Green Papaya, I didn't sell anything. I think yeah, times were hard then. Times Nobody were buys so hard. anything. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I remember that for my first solo show, I had to pay for the framing of my small paintings. And so I had I struck a contract with one of my very good friends, and he said that, okay, I will pay for all your frames as long as I get to choose some of the works from the show after if they don't sell. So that's how I was able to fund it. Um, Mm -hmm. And in Green Papaya, it was basically me taking a lot of odd jobs. And that was really fun because then, you know, it was really a community and we all worked in different things. We we worked in film, we worked in advertising, we were basically prop hands and set designers and costume designers and all of that. Yeah, it's Um, the artist hustle. At the time, everybody had to do like different things and... I remember visiting you in your apartment and it's like this apartment that was filled with artists. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Our, our neighbor was uh, Norberto Roldan who ran Green Papaya and then I was uh, sharing the studio with Maria and Nona and yeah, I mean, we were really a group of artists and we would all share the space and and yeah, I mean, it was... Fun, but of course, people grow old, no? And then you take on even more jobs and all of that. But then the economy started improving, or the Philippine economy started improving, and then people started buying more art. Probably around two thousand and seven, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's been. Okay, personally, I think it's been really good because then artists can do 
art professionally and live on their income from art. That's right. They don't need to hustle like yes. you were doing in 2003. Yeah. And we didn't... Now, I don't need to, you know, take on a teaching job like before or right. do workshops every summer or... Actually, I used to even teach art lessons to people on the weekends. I would go to their homes and teach art lesson to all these uh, retired folks and, and all of that. So at least now I actually get to focus on production and I can be more ambitious in terms of uh, what I'd like to make. Um, of course, there are a lot of constraints still in terms of production costs are or even just uh, sourcing of labor and materials and all of that but all in all I think yeah the the, the art economy improving has been a good thing of course the the bad side of that is that um, like in any capitalist market no uh, there are hustlers as well in the of art course. market. Now there's fakes and, and, you know, there's fakes of Filipino art na buhay pa yung artist. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really terrible that, you know, you, you have um, forgers for artists who are still alive. They pass on fake authentication papers. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there are multiple copies of uh, yeah, Ben Cabs, for example, and Ben Cab is still alive. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's kind of terrible, and also there's also the you know like meteoric rise and fall of of some young artists when they don't get to manage um, the quick fame. Right, parang there there is this parang boom and bust of artists who suddenly parang they're famous. People are buying their art left and right, and then, and then, and then nothing, or you know, they spend all their money or something like that. Exactly, yeah. they spend all their money, or maybe they'll get into some kind of addiction or whatever. Um, and yeah, and it's really hard also because artists they work with their own time, so you really need a lot of discipline and perseverance to. To keep Frank time it. management, no? It's, yeah. And what what do you think, like, you've been somewhat su- successful, or you've been successful, actually, at, at your at your art, mm-hmm. and what has made you this successful, do you think? Like, personally, what, what made you successful at what you do? I think the relative success is because I work so hard. I mean, really, I, I worked so bagay, you had so carpal tunnel last yeah. year, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and there's really this drive for me, I think, to just keep on producing, whether or not I think I'm doing something worthwhile. Because sometimes, you know, you work on an idea, you explore a certain idea, and then you spend so much time with it, and then you produce an artwork, and then it's a total failure. Mm-hmm. And and there's a temptation to just give up and then stop doing what you're doing. But But for me, it's always been about doing the next thing. 
So, right. yeah, for me, it's just continuous work. Don't get right. for me. I, I never really gave up. Um, and your work has sort of evolved, but also stayed the same throughout the years. So, parang that, that first solo exhibition of yours was, you know, it was fabric. And and now you're you're working with tapestry and sort of similar but different in a way, you know? Yes, yes. I mean, for me, it's I think I get bored so quickly in a way. So I like to really explore a lot of different materials, um, a, little, a lot of different media. But at the same time, I'm really interested in fabric for one thing. I'm really interested in domestic objects i'm i'm really interested in the ordinary objects that surround us in our daily life so parang for me these things have a life of their own and, mm-hmm. and it's a never ending thing because even in the past 20 years that i've been an artist the the things 20 years ago have evolved so differently to now. I mean, the design of a lamp, for example, in the early 2000s was so different from how it's designed now because our taste change, our, uh, our appetite for them change. You know? so, so these are mm-hmm. the things I think that, that I explore. And, and since they're evolving, I, I also want to stay dynamic and, and mm-hmm. just just... I guess, yeah, explore new... And how much of your artwork do you think is influenced by sort of people's tastes around you, you know, like the the current flavor of the year? You know, parang there's... Artists produce their own work and their own inspiration, but also parang there's prob- they're probably inf- influenced by the market, no? Mm-hmm. I don't know how much influence the market has on you. Um, like, tunwari lang dito sa Baguio... Mm-hmm. For some reason, because we're a tourist town, there's a lot of indigenous art because that's what sells, diba? Right. So, so for you, do you think, is it, does the market influence your work or do you set the tone for the market? How, how does it work for you? I, I don't think that the market influences the, what I, or how I see myself working on my, my works. Um, because for me, what is it? It's really about trying to get, you know, all these different things and adding different things together to come up with a new equation in in that sense. I've I've Mm -hmm. always said um, that one plus one equals three. Is is uh is one of the great lessons I learned as a art student, and and I always try to still keep it in mind because for me, I mean, what's the point? Well, okay, there are different. <laughs> let me put it this way: there are different kinds of artists, and some artists uh, react to what is now, mm-hmm. and that's not me. I I want to sort of present a different way of seeing things. And so sometimes I can work on something and personally, I'm not even sold on like how it looks like or, 
you know, it's not really my taste, for example, personal taste. I wouldn't put it in my house. But at the same time, I feel that this sculpture, for example, changes my perception of how I see things, which is why I want to make it, which is why I think the the idea of the work is compelling. I guess, like when I started making my shape canvases, for example, which was about 12 years ago, I it just came to me that, you know, why, why not try and cut the shape of the canvas from a rectangle or a square into these sort of very ornate forms, reminiscent of the silhouettes uh, that we see in the design of a wallpaper, for example. But I would make it into this massive thing. Mm-hmm. And when I first made that sort of huge, very floral-shaped canvas, I didn't know what to paint on it because I was thinking, oh my gosh, this is this could be a massive failure. But at the same time, I was thinking that nobody had done that again or during that time, nobody had presented... Uh, fragmented paintings in that sense. The only other one was um, Frank Stella, and that was like in the 60s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. And it was such a macho kind of um, fragmented painting. There was So I wanted to make my own version in a way. Um, and so it was a challenge for me, for my own aesthetic um, and my own perception so I, I really pushed myself to see sort of what kind of new equation I could come up with by working on the shaped canvas. Mm-hmm. And, in, you know, you, you've been doing this for many years mm-hmm. now. What would you say is sort of your, um, your big break? What was, your sh- what was the show that was your big break and what was the work that you did for that? That's tough. I think, well, in 2006, I took a break from making art full-time because I couldn't afford making work anymore. And so I had to focus on uh, making myself a living first. And so I was so... You were a fashion designer at some point. Yes, exactly. So I was sewing clothes because I was already... Making costumes before that, I was already making costumes for like film sets and advertising, and then I was also making uh, costumes for performance artists, uh, for the CCP or for independent productions. Um, and because I knew how to sew, and people would always ask me who sewed your shirt, for example, and I would always say, "Oh, I did," and then mm-hmm. they would ask me if they could buy it, then I decided, okay, I'm going to start selling clothes first so I could save some money. Um, So I did. And for two years, that's what I did. And I saved some money. And then Silver Lens Gallery approached me and said, uh, are you ready to go back into showing your work in Manila? And I said, Uh yes, I think so. Um, So... And I, well, actually, 
even before they asked me, I was already working on some things. I mean, I never really stopped making art. Um, and so I already had an idea of what I wanted to show. So that was my first solo show um, in three years when I oh, had wow. my solo show in Silverlands in 2008. And I decided that I would make a sculpture of a ghost piano, basically. I remember this. It was white, was it? Yes. So what I did was I asked Alola to crochet me a cover for, well, for a piano. Well, anything big, a blanket, basically, big enough that it would drape over a piano. And uh, I was experimenting with uh, some resins and epoxy and all of that so that I could soak the crocheted blanket in this hardened plastic and then drape it over a piano. And then when I would remove the blanket, the the blanket would retain the shape of the piano. So basically the piano would be gone and then the fabric would just stand on its own, which is why I call it a ghost piano. Mm -hmm. And that's what I showed in 2008. And, and I think people were very impressed with that work. Um, and that year, I think it was that year that the year after when I was nominated for that show, for the Ateneo Art Awards, and then I, I won the, the award. Oh. You know, I remember that show. I don't know if I actually went to the opening or I just mm -hmm. saw the show. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I may have gone to that opening. It's possible. Um, yeah, because I remember the piano yeah. and, and, you know, the, the, that you did. Right. And I may have gone to the opening, maybe. Yeah. On but, the bridge. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but that's interesting you know, that um, and then you've kept up at this whole thing and of course Silverlands has been sort of your your regular main gallery, yeah. main gallery you know? yeah. is there a reason is this the reason you always work with them that Silverlands is your parang chosen gallery to work with well I think because I've formed <clears throat> a good relationship with them and they're really the gallery who tries to bring their artists um, to a wider audience. Right, they um, go everywhere, no? They go to yes, Hong Kong exactly. and, and all the Biennales and all that. Right. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've stayed with them since that first show. And so they're, they're my main gallery in, in the Philippines. Um, yeah, and since 2008 until I would say 2017, it has been super nonstop shows one after the other until I took a sort of little break in 2018 because of my... Ah, that's two years ago na pala, my carpal tunnel. Oh, wow. And how much is a patio stuck you nowadays? Oh, my gosh. I, a drawing, a big... Well, I only make big drawings. So I would say a big drawing that's about four feet by three feet is about $8,000. Wow. I think so. 
think you've so. come a long way from from green papaya. From eight thousand pesos, <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> it's a long way from green papaya. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but then I'm I'm a very slow producer. That's the thing. I yeah, don't make a lot of works in a year, so it's it's a very limited amount. So the photo hanging on my wall right now is worth like a couple of hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I should have it assessed. This is a patio statue. Yeah. <laughs> and how how. How do you keep yourself sort of up to date or like how do you keep yourself fresh with all of these ideas? Do you read a lot? Do you travel? What what's like what's the creative process for you for that? I read a lot. So the nice thing about working with your hands and working on visual things and not words, no. Uh as opposed to a writer or an office person who works with words and numbers on their computer is that I can actually listen to a book the whole time I am painting or drawing or making pottery, for example. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I don't have the luxury of reading a physical book all the time. But So you audiobooks? Yes, I do audiobooks a lot. And I can finish maybe... If it's the regular book of about 15 hours per book, then I'll finish maybe three books a week. A week? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. I guess it's like a, it's like listening to a podcast. No, I listen to a lot of yeah, podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> listening and, to people like us. <laughs> right, right. Just parang, parang eavesdropping on people's conversations. Yeah. But I, and what I, kind of books do you read? Uh, mostly, I listen to fiction. Because okay. I, I, I feel that... Fiction is an escape, sort of, like a creative thing for me as well. So and while what, I'm doing... what books in what particular? What books in particular? Like, like what type of fiction? A lot of different things. So I... I'm, like sometimes if I want to draw fast, for example, then I listen to a really like brainless spy book, for example. Okay. Like a Tom Clancy. Yes, exactly. Well, wow. not Tom Clancy Weird. because he's so Republican. But <laughs> 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 yeah, but I yeah. love spy books. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But otherwise, a lot of contemporary fiction as well. Okay, yeah. I read somewhere that fiction is actually sort of an insight into a certain time. You know, parang the writers write it from you know, the time where they they actually live. So fiction fiction is informed by the time where they they live. No? So parang let's say uh what's that? Uh, Tom Sawyer, it's informed by the time that he was right. It was written and, and a lot of the different books, even Lord of the Rings maybe. Right. Uh so based on where where the author lives and the social conditions he lives in. Um, Lord yeah. of the Rings, for instance, was World War II and you know right. Ottoman Empire and all of that. So, right. parang, parang it it seeps into all of that fiction, even though it's it's fiction, no? but but it's actually sort of a a time card, 
Right. So actually, like one of the spy authors that I really like is John Le Carre because I'm super interested in that sort of post-World War II, Cold War era of espionage. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is interesting. I, don't, I didn't know this about you, that you like spy novel. <laughs> yes. Well, well, that's one thing, I guess. And then, yeah, the, the other things as well. I, a lot of contemporary fiction, I guess, is the mm-hmm. yeah, general way to say it. But I listen to some non-fiction books as well, especially when I'm doing research on my works, for example. So I'll, I'll maybe listen to non-fiction. But non-fiction, I really prefer reading the book itself because some terms can get, you know, very naughty and then you really have to untangle them in your head and really sort of sit down to think. Right, right. Yeah. And what is there a book you're currently reading at the moment? Uh, I just started, hold on, let me see. Exhalation by Ted Chang. Okay. Yeah. Uh, like really just This is a it. fiction book. Yes. It's, okay. it's, uh, it's fiction. Let's see. Because it, uh, yeah. But recently, what, what did I finish recently? Oh, another another spy book, <laughs> The Mission Song by John Le Carre. Okay, so you oh. really like spy novels. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, recently, because, oh, well, yeah. I've been watching like, a lot of spy shows on TV, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's nice to sort of take a break from heavy heavy topics as well and it's nice to be entertained you know yeah what I mean? yeah definitely definitely yeah. like for me personally i i like to watch shows that aren't intelligent you know like i like dumb shows <laughs> exactly. i like i like um i like stupid shows that don't, you don't have to think you just have to laugh you just have to watch and that's sort of for me it's an escape you know that's what tv is or exactly. that's what movies are you know you, they're an escape you don't have to think when right. you, you know for for a lot of what you do you have to think so exactly that's, that's exactly what this and like as an artist do you do you collect art yourself yes actually i do buy some artworks whatever i can afford and of course to support artists who i really love especially the young artists um it's nice to encourage young artists to keep doing what they're doing in a way. Yeah, you were so, a young artist at one time. Exactly. And so you know that feeling. No? Exactly. And and actually, they're, the young artists now are so lucky because they're coming into an art market that, as you said earlier, is so much better than the art market I entered. You know, there's an actual right. art market. So they can actually sell their work and sell their work for a more premium price. And it than, seems to be doing yeah. okay during the pandemic for some reason, no? I mean, not I, so bad. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I guess people want an escape as well. And, and art is one of those things that you can escape into and having you know a new artwork 
in your living room or bedroom, for example, is maybe a nice addition to. <laughs> is there to a the young lockdown. artist that you recently purchased, like uh, a young artist yeah. who you think is like up and coming? Well, I don't know if she's so young still, no. But the the most recent work that I got is by Isai Rodriguez. I've um, heard of her. Yes, and and she's actually you know gone around and she's been shown also in like a special exhibit at the Venice Biennale, and she's been mm-hmm. at art residencies in all over the world. Um, but most of the work she makes are conceptual and ephemeral so it's very hard to kind of I guess have a regular income from it but she does make um, these monograph monographs Mm -hmm. uh, which are unique prints uh, from she exposes them in the sun and all of that so I I got one recently and and I have it here at home so nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> is there a like um? Is there someone among your peers that you sort of lo- look up to? I you know of of the people who I've talked to over the last twenty shows, um, people always talk about sort of this peer who they look up to. You know, parang someone who's the same age or in the same sort of field who right. they look up to as as someone who they can learn from as a mentor. Or, or whatever I think many for me I the the peers who I sort of grew up with as an artist and sort of shared my life with as an artist from the very beginning are still the peers I or the kind of circle that I've kept now I mean of course everyone has their different lives and we don't really get in touch as often as we'd like but obviously I follow their work and and we still keep in touch and one of them is Gary Pastrana mm-hmm. um, who I always call uh, and ask for advice from whenever I have a show so I'll, I'll always ask him whether you know is this too much do I have too many artworks you know sometimes you produce, let's say, 20 artworks and you want to show them all just because you worked so hard on them. But putting them all in the show is, isn't the best thing to do. And as the maker of them, you don't know which to call. Or, mm-hmm. And so advice from somebody like Gary is, is really sort of precious to me. And That's of course, sort of really important, yeah. no? Having having like a peer who will actually advise you on these things. Yeah, and be honest with you, and tell you that oh, Patty, Even I mean, yeah, I mean every. I think every single show I've had, I've called him because even for this show and this show we we installed during you know during this quarantine period. He mm-hmm. he came out to help me hang the show and nice. talk me through my ideas as well and help me clarify what I wanted to do and all of that. And is there like a piece of art that parang when you're finished you don't want to sell it? Is there is there something like that or 
is all your art. Like, parang, I want someone else to hang it on their walls. Actually, for me, it's not a desire for someone else to have it. It's just that I want to move on and make the next work and sort of keep the art-making process dynamic in my studio. So in that sense, I don't really have this, um, what do you call this, hoarding mentality. Or I, 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 I can let go of things easily. Um, but of course, I've kept some. Uh, like my husband will always say, can we please not show this because I love this work. <laughs> we keep okay. it. Yeah, like that. But it's not, it's usually not me who says I'm going okay, to keep this okay. work. So, so you're, parang, you're, you're not attached. You're not attached yeah. to any of yeah. them. Yeah. And you know, you when I when I met you 20 years ago, you were a teacher in UP Baguio. Mm-hmm. Is teaching something that you can consider um, in the future? I mean, you've learned a lot, obviously, as an artist and including the business side of art, I suppose, um, yeah. which is also important, no? Mm-hmm. And a lot of artists don't understand this. Is teaching something that you would consider down the line or even just mentorship for like younger artists? Yeah, definitely. I think, actually, I've, I've been discussing this also with my friends, like sort of setting up some kind of mentorship program and or an informal school of sorts um, for, for young artists. And it just... I guess we're just not at the time of our lives yet where we can find the physical space for it um, or real time for it. But definitely, I, I would like to do that. Um, every year, actually, I, me and my friends, some of my friends in particular, um, we go to the thesis exhibitions of UP Diliman. Oh, the fine arts. Yes. And we look at all the thesis proposals of the graduating batch that year and we review them and we go and listen to their thesis defenses and then we're able to ask them questions or give them suggestions. I mean, we actively do that every year because I feel that it's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, to, it's passing on, no? Yeah, exactly. To to share, the right? I mean, obviously, I have so much more to learn in my life, but um, I've been a student before, and so I know kind of what struggles they're going through. So it's it's nice to be able to to give them a second sort of opinion on, on their ideas. And as someone who's both taught art and and has made art, what what do you think is Filipino art for you now, like today? No, before kasi Filipino art was like a Blanco or Juan Luna, mga ganun, di ba? Parang that's typical of Filipino art. So now there's so much variation. What would you say sort of distinguishes Filipino art as Filipino? Gosh, that's a tough question, I think. Hmm. The thing is, the Filipino 
identity is also very hard to define because of our unique history of uh, colonialism and post-colonialism. And in a way, we're a very young nation and our backgrounds on education are a sort of eclectic mix of Western and Philippine-informed curriculum. So I think that's very much reflected in art that's produced in the Philippines. So there's a lot of, um, yeah, obviously very cultural, specific references and... It's obviously informed by pop culture we're exposed to and and current events and all Mm -hmm. of that. Um, But in terms of anything specific, I don't know. We're still very much in love, I think, with painting. That's it. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, Is that still the art that sells the most? Yes, I think so. It it would still be the art that sells the most. It's the most familiar to to the art market, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And last question yes. before we end all of this. That's, <laughs> that was actually very interesting for me, no? Uh, especially nga na, na it's true what you said. The Philippines, it's you know thousands of islands, seven thousand islands. There's different culture everywhere. Plus all this foreign influence um, that that sort of makes it very difficult to distinguish what is Philippine art, unless it's very blatant, parang, you know, Filipino art, like a Juan Luna or, you know, right. mga ganun, no? Right, so, right. So it's quite difficult. And, um, like, for for young artists, what what would you tell your younger self? Like, 20 years ago, when I met you, Mm-hmm. Is there some advice you would tell that Patty Ustakio <laughs> 20 years ago? Don't go on that climb in Pulago JP. Or <laughs> uh, no, no, actually. Uh, I'm the kind of person who really doesn't live with much regret. I think in a way, I'm a very... Well, you know me. I mean, we spent a lot of time together when yes. I was in Baguio. So there is a very reckless side to me, as you oh, would yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> very, uh, yeah, a very reckless side, but there's also a very deliberate side. So in that sense, I think I have a very clear idea of kind of a goal an end goal, a very end goal that I want to reach or a path that I want to take. Um, And of course, I'll I'll go on my whatever, small adventures on my Mm -hmm. way to that goal. But then I'm not going to sort of spend time thinking what could I have done better or... For me, it's always looking forward. What can I do better next? I think that's that's my sort of um, philosophy. I I want to make something better next, but not that I want to repair 
things that I did in the past. That's um, a so very yeah. good philosophy, I think. <laughs> yeah. Especially for, you know, people who do a lot of different things in the past. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, anyway, thank you, thank you so much for for giving me the time for you know coming on the podcast and of course congratulations on your new show. Um, by the time this thank podcast you. comes out, will be in about three weeks. Hopefully, mm-hmm. the, your show will will run for what two months, one month. Uh, maybe maybe two months, but generally it's five weeks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Baka may extend sa pandemic. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Baka may extend. But yes, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thank you. Me. I enjoyed this. Also, yeah. like reminiscing about our, our yeah. 20 years ago in Baguio. I remember going to your apartment. Uh, often. Often. <laughs> and uh, what was the name of that other teacher? Uh, long hair. Ruel. Ruel, right? He would. Yeah. I remember going to his apartment. He was wearing this like. It was some weird contraption. <laughs> Maybe a kimono from yeah. Ukay Ukay. Yeah, a kimono, and yung parang brief niya was nakatali, <laughs> eh. parang parang ganon. Eh. Like, <laughs> what, what the hell is he wearing? Look, like we're drinking. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. Oh my gosh! Memories of Baguio. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yes, thank you so much for inviting me because, yeah, I had fun, and I haven't yeah, spoken with you for so long. It's 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 nice. Yeah. yeah. And that was my conversation with Patty Sakio. I'm glad you guys reached this point, and I'm sure. By now, you know a little bit more about Philippine art, about how it's developed over the years, and of course, Patty's work. You've you've got to drop by Silver Lens if you're in Manila, or I think they do have an online exhibition at Silver Lens to look at her art or just look her up. I mean, you know, you, you find the art she's done over the years. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And she's such a talented artist, such a good person that I, I mean, I have to have her on the show at some point again because I had so much fun. So thank you so much for listening to the Wildcast. And I hope you stick around for episode 26 of the Wildcast because I have some special guests. I have... Twins Tashi and Nungshi Malik, who just finished the Eco Challenge last year. It's the world's toughest race. And it's not just that that they finished, actually. Um, they are one of, well, two of uh, a very select group of explorers who have done all seven summits. Uh, in all the continents of the world and skied on foot to the North and South Pole. So that's a very, very interesting conversation next week on the Wildcast. Thank you for listening. And since you're still here and you've made it to this point, I'm guessing you're a regular listener of the Wildcast and... 
we are producing our very first bit of merchandise. So we have been working on this for the last two months and we've been keeping it under wraps. But we're just about ready to produce this amazing, 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 amazing t-shirt that was created. Uh, the artwork was created by an artist, actually, whose name is Cheryl Owen. And we asked her to create the Madonna del Gisalo, which is the patron saint of cyclists. And as we are big cyclists, we're big adventurers, we, we thought that um, having a shirt that was very Filipino, very distinctly Filipino, uh, Madonna del Gisalo, and inspired also by Jeepney Art. So we've created this shirt in two variants. One is cotton, one is... Uh, one is a dry fit fabric for when you're biking. The other one is cotton for when you're uh, in your casual clothes or casual wear. And it's so beautiful. You have to see it. The the Madonna del Gisalo t-shirt of the Wildcast. And when you see it, please, you know, support the Wildcast by buying our merchandise. Um, you'll see uh, the link in our regular link, the, our link tree. Uh, group of links you'll see the link to order the Madonna del Gisalo shirt and we have put in every detail you just see it it's so beautiful we've even put in little reflectors so that if in case you get caught biking at night there's little reflectors on the shirt that you know offer some form of protection uh from cars if so that they see you at night and because of course it's the madonna del gisalo uh patron saint of cyclists hopefully it'll help protect everyone all these new cyclists and all these old cyclists on the road today um and you know go to the order form order us some shirt share it with your friends and thank you thank you for supporting the wildcast see you next week